Thanks, Natalie. Uh, a very good morning to you. My name's James. I'm one of the team here. Uh, it's a joy to be with you, but this is a hard passage. It's a hard topic. We're thinking about seven deadly sins, and we're thinking about anger this morning. And I wonder if there are any more sins more deadly than anger. I'm praying and hoping that the Lord, by his spirit, will do deep heart work on each one of us. So let's pray and ask him to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you that you are a God who speaks. And so we ask you now, open up our hearts and speak deeply into them. Convict us of our sin. Show us our anger. And then, Father, by the gospel, help us to put that off and put on the new self that you've given us in Jesus, that we might live in a way that is more like him, to your glory and for the good of us and those around us. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. When you think of anger, I wonder what comes to mind. Your anger, someone else's anger, explosive anger, complete with shouting and swearing and raising your hands, or cold, calculated, slow burn hatred. Maybe it's not the spectacular, but it's the low-level irritability, the, the socially acceptable disgruntlement, the, the aggressive toot on the horn, the, the, the grumbler, the whiner. Maybe you think of anger, you think of your drive to church this morning. <laughs> but when we think of anger, there are so many faces to it, aren't there? So many different ways it rears its head, but none of them are pretty. The book of James says the righteous anger, uh, sorry, man's anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Rather, it leaves a trail of destruction in its wake. Where there is misery in this world, you can be sure that anger is not far away. But it's just worth asking, what is anger? What is anger? Because we commonly think, don't we, of anger as something totally negative. It's, it's a bad emotion. But that's not always the case. Anger is a proper response to sin and injustice and suffering. When someone is angry, they are saying, I'm against that. When we're angry at something, we're saying, I'm against that. And if you think about it, that's an important thing to do sometimes, isn't it? If I drove home and I saw somebody being mugged on the side of the road and I wasn't angry, if I didn't think I'm against that, then there'd be something wrong with me. And actually, that response of anger might motivate me to action, even a coward like me, to intervene. Anger's not always wrong. But the Bible is full, isn't it, of angry people. But the person who is angry first in the Bible is God. God is angry. If you were with us last week, you'll remember we looked at Adam and Eve in the garden, fueled by pride, tempted by Satan to reach out and take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, doing the one thing God told them not to do that would surely lead to their death. And sure enough, they reach out, they break God's loving command, and God's response is one of anger. He is against their disobedience. He's against the way their sin harms each other. He's against the way their sin destroys his perfect creation. But God's anger is so different to the sinful human anger we see around us. It's an anger that's loving. It's an anger that's not malicious, but seeks the good of Adam and Eve, stopping their sin escalating further. When you think about it, if God wasn't like that, 
If he didn't show that kind of loving, controlled, hostile response to evil, it would be awful. But just it doesn't matter. Yeah, keep harming each other. It would be absolutely awful. I was struck this week by thinking that in some ways, Adam and Eve's sin was a result of a failure to be angry. I wonder if you ever thought about it like that. But when, Adam, when, when, the, when the serpent entered the garden, when Satan, in the form of a snake, entered the garden and began telling lies about God, what should Adam have done? Surely he should have got angry and driven that evil snake away. But he failed to get angry. He was tolerant of what was intolerable. And that failure of anger resulted in that first sin. But the problem is, since that time, our anger has been corrupted. This good, God-given response against sin and suffering has been corrupted, utterly corrupted. So much so that when we hear the word anger, we, we think of something that's terrible. We almost can't imagine, can we, good anger. When someone says God is angry, we, at least part of us thinks that he's doing something immoral, don't we? But the problem is not anger. It's its corruption. Because rather than be angry at evil, we're angry at inconvenience. We're angry at the wrong things, in the wrong way, to the wrong extent. And the result is misery. That's so clear in Genesis 4, wasn't it? We just saw that in the kid's story. But let me read a little bit of that again. This lethal account. The man... Adam was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I've had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. And in the course of time, Cain presented some of the Lord's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flocks and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel's offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. And Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. And do you see what Cain is saying in his fury? I am against that. I am against the way you reward my brother, but overlook me. I'm against that I didn't get blessing. And he's livid. But then the Lord looks at Cain. Why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? It's not exactly clear in the passage why Cain's offering is not accepted, but clearly he knows what he should have done. And rather than his anger be directed against evil, rather than him be aroused by his own wrongdoing and repenting, saying sorry, he's angry that he didn't get what he wanted. And notice it doesn't say how Cain was angry. We often think, don't we, of anger as explosive. Actually, as you look at this account, it seems like it's worryingly controlled. How did God know Cain was furious? Was it a, a hostile look? Was it the way he sneered at Abel? Was it a passive-aggressive comment? Anger has many different forms, doesn't it? And if we're not careful, we can be deceived into thinking we're not angry because we don't explode. And yet, are there not times in our heart that we burn? And we control that anger. It's often said, you know, when an English person is angry because they become very polite. <laughs> but in their hearts, 
It's anger all the same. Well, God warns Cain. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. You must rule over it. And friends, this reminds us sin is a power, isn't it? It wages a war against our soul. And anger is perhaps one of the most potent of all sins. Someone tells an account of something that happened. They said, I just saw red. By which they mean anger took over. They lost control. Anger was in the driving seat. Charlie and I came back from Japan. I think maybe I've said some of this before, uh, six, seven years ago to the UK, and we were suffering with burnout. And burnout's become a slightly trendy thing these days. Lots of people say, oh, I'm doing a bit hard in, 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 for a few weeks and I'm burnt out. This was not that kind of burnout. This was deep medical burnout. For a whole year, we basically had to have uh, a year off, ministry off work, recovering. And one of the ways the burnout manifested in me was in outbursts of what I can only describe as rage. And this would have been ministry destroying. It would have been quite possibly marriage destroying. But in the Lord's kindness, we, we came back to the UK as scheduled, just as this was beginning to develop. And I pretty much got off the plane and, and went to a pastor's conference as had been scheduled. And I went to a, a friend who, a senior pastor, 10 years older than me, and I, I said, I need to talk to you, I need to confess my sin to you. And in the Lord's kindness, that sin was, was caught, and I was able over the next few months to work through that. And I say that to my embarrassment, in part because there may be others here with that same situation. Nobody knows you're angry. Maybe your spouse does, your kids do. Kids do. Nobody else would. Friends, if that's you this morning, do not leave here without doing something about it, without perhaps writing it on your Connect card without grabbing a staff member, a connect group leader, and saying, I need to talk to you about this. Because you see, this is a power that seeks to overcome us. As I was working through this over the next few months, uh, another pastor friend of mine said to me, um, James, do you ever get angry at Wren? Wren would have been about just over a year at this point. And I remember we were walking down the street at that time, and I pretty much stopped. I was so taken aback by that question. How could I, why would I get angry at an innocent baby? I remember thinking. Wind on a few years. Anna was born. Girls are definitely much harder to parent than boys, aren't they? <laughs> and Anna was incessantly crying. Ren, now two, is in his terrible twos, begins to push my buttons. And I can feel in my heart anger rising up towards the kids. And I knew if I did not control that anger, that would harm these children. It was a terrible warning to me. It's the warning that God says to Cain here. Our anger is the same anger as a murderer. It's the same kind of anger of one of those people you read about in the paper who so loses it that they shake their baby to death. And up until that point, I'd have said, no, my anger is different. And if our anger is different, it is different in degree, not in kind. Our anger is different in degree, not in kind. And if you think that in your heart does not lie the evil that could lead to murder, could lead to harming someone, then can I say you do not know the extent of your heart. God warns Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires for you. You must rule over it. John Owen, the Puritan, said, be killing sin 
or sin will be killing you. And in the case of anger, it will be killing others too. It will be bringing a trail of misery. Well, in verse 7, there's a pause. We don't know how much time elapses between verse 7 and verse 8. But one day Cain says to Abel, let's go into the fields like we've always done. Let's go as brothers do. Let's go have fun. Let's go for a walk. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother. He killed him in cold blood. The first brothers in the Bible, the first murderer. And see what has become of God's world, this paradise lost And from that time on, how many families have been torn apart by anger? How many workplaces have become places of misery because of an angry colleague? How many churches have become hellish because of an angry pastor or an angry church member? Anger destroys. But the wonder of the gospel is, Jesus does not just forgive anger. The marvel of the gospel is, however However harsh our anger is, however deep-rooted it is, whether it's explosive or slow burn, it can be forgiven. But Jesus doesn't just forgive. He longs to uproot it. He longs to change our hearts that we might die to anger and rise to patience. By his spirit, he's helping us, if we're believers in him, to do that. But we need to recognize a few things. The first is we need to recognize anger is a matter of the heart. Anger is a matter of the heart. And I want to underline that because that's not how we talk about anger, is it? Someone comes home from work and they're a little bit grumpy and their housemate says to them, you seem a bit irritable. Ah, yeah, the traffic was awful. Someone's been with their kids all day and they've been grousing and someone, are you okay? Yeah, the kids are being a nightmare. And what we're saying there is the traffic, the kids... That caused my anger. But the Bible doesn't allow us to say that. It may be that those things triggered it, but the reason we're angry is because of our hearts. In James chapter 4, it says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, your desires are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. We're angry when we don't get what we want. Somebody who comes home and is angry because they got stuck in traffic, it's not the traffic that made them angry. What they mean when they say that is, I was hoping to come home and put my feet up and have a lovely cup of tea before Connect Group. But because of the traffic, I can't do that. And the thing I really want is lost. The the thing I plan to do, I can't do. And so I'm grumpy. Do you see, it's a problem of the heart. It's a problem of expectations. My desires were not fulfilled. My expectations were not met. And so I'm angry. This is so important for us to see if we're to root out anger. David Powlinson is a a Christian counselor who's written a lot on anger. And anything he's written that I've read has been excellent. I encourage his work to you. David Powlinson. He says this. When all the circumstances and excuses are stripped away, The truth is that we fight, we get angry because we do not get what we want. We do not want God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. We want our kingdom to come and our will to reign supreme. Friends, I want to urge us as a church, 
I want to urge us to pledge to each other that we'll get rid of this sloppy language when it comes to anger. There's a connect groups. We won't allow people to, to excuse anger by blaming it on the circumstances. Pledge in your families that we won't talk like this anymore. We won't allow our children to say, it's because of my sibling or my schoolmate or the situation that I got angry. But that we'll own that it goes to the heart. Now, if we do that, it will be deeply humbling because it means it's not the idiots out there. It's not the actions of the idiot on the road or the idiot in the office. The problem's the idiot's heart here. But the wonder is, when we press down, as we painfully drill down into our hearts, Jesus is able to change us because Jesus is bringing about deep heart change in us. Have a look at that Ephesians 4 passage, verse 20. And Paul says, that is not how you came to know Christ. All the ways that we used to formerly live, that's not how we came to know Christ. Assuming that we've heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self, that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. It's a long and complicated sentence, but do you see what Paul is saying? The problem is our old self, the, the, the heart that's corrupted by deceitful desires. We desire the wrong things in the wrong way, and when we don't get them, we get angry. But in Christ, the moment we believed, if we've believed in him, God did a great work by his spirit and gave us a new heart. He's renewed our minds and given us new desires. And the challenge of the Christian life from now till the day we get to heaven is to drill down into our hearts and put off the old self and put on the new. To root up these desires and confess them and find fresh forgiveness in the gospel. And then ask the spirit to give us God's desires, that we desire what he wants. Anger is a problem of the heart. So let's for a moment put our hearts under the microscope. Let's ask, are we right to be angry? The last time you felt anger rising, what drove it? What were you against? I'm not just talking about the, the explosive anger. The last time you put someone down with sarcasm. The last time you were convinced that you were so right that you complained and grumbled. What was going on in your heart? Were you driven by the new self, by godly desires, by a, an affront to God's glory, to harm done to somebody? Or was it because your kingdom was threatened? I was driving down the road on Thursday. It was about 8 o'clock in the morning. The school children were out on their way to school, and um, a guy just kind of cut in ahead of me, and I tutted, and I tooted the horn, boop. <laughs> now, in fairness to me, he was driving slightly dangerously, slightly dangerously, but I wasn't motivated thinking, what about the poor school children of Auckland and this dangerous driver? <laughs> Do you know what's going on in my heart? Does that guy not know that the great James Ballinger was coming? <laughs> It's about me. And it's not that it's wrong to desire to be able to drive down the road without people interfering. That's a good desire. 
Just as it's good, isn't it, to desire to get home on time from work and have a cup of tea before Connect Group. But when we cling to that so strongly, that if we don't get what we want, we seethe or we explode, that is the problem. And we need to uproot those desires. We need to own them. Part of what we need God to do is give us a bigger view of what we're here to do. God's desire for us isn't that we live a a comfortable life, a a quiet life, a a pain-free life, a convenient life. God's desire for us now is that we become more and more like his son. I don't know about you, but when things go wrong, I feel out of control. But we know the world isn't out of control. Romans 8, verse 28 tells us that in everything, God is working for the good of those he loves. Not the good of convenience or comfort, but that we might be made more like his son, Jesus. Which means when someone cuts us up, when the boss lands overtime on us suddenly, when the child keeps screaming, when the parent is rude to us, when, when it goes wrong and we feel out of control, God is not out of control. But that circumstance, that person, even in their sin, is unwittingly God's agent to make us more like Jesus. He is in control, working for our good. And the question is, will we respond with Christ-likeness? Or will we respond with fury because our kingdom is threatened? Friends, when we feel anger rising, we need to look into our hearts. We need to be secure enough in the gospel, knowing that God loves us more than we can imagine with all of our sin and longs to change us, that we can admit, I was wrong. I was, my expectations, my desires were wrong. I need to change them. We need to help one another to do this. Now, take it, we need to do that carefully. When I'm beginning to get grousy, the last thing somebody needs to say to me is, aren't you getting a bit angry? That is sure to make it worse. But actually, we do need to unpick that, don't we? Yesterday, uh, not yesterday, on Friday, it was uh, our day off, and we decided to go to the zoo. But we, we woke up, or probably I woke up slightly later than I'd expected, and we were just a little bit behind my expectations of when I thought we'd be leaving. And so I began to feel the kind of steam under my collar and chivying everyone along. And as I do that, one of the kids decides they've forgotten how to put their shoes on. And Charlie decides now is the right time to put on a new load of washing. And it just gets a bit tense. And we get in the car, and Charlie knows how to push my buttons, but she also knows how not to push my buttons. And she says, darling, you're getting a little bit stressed there. Isn't it because you, you really want to get to the zoo and have fun? That's your expectation. That's your desire. It's a good desire. But do you know how it felt? We've got to have fun. Hurry up. We've got to have fun. Put your shoes on. How foolish is that? I want to have fun and I'm winding everyone up. I'm winding myself up because my expectations aren't being met. And actually, isn't that a kindness of the Lord to help me through Charlie to see that, that I can own that and repent of that. Friends, we need to do that, to drill down to the heart, to change us. And my hunch is, if we do that, so much anger, so much irritability will be gone. Not magically, but slowly, painfully, as we uproot those desires, because so much is out of a mismatch of our desires and God's. If we do that, we'll learn to be patient. But we need to drill down to the roots and deal with the heart. But as we align our desires with God's, 
It's not as if we'll suddenly become stoics. When you look at Jesus, he doesn't seem to have lived a kind of calm life. And that's because he cares so much. Psalm 119, verse 53 says, Indignation gripped me because of the wicked. If you want a, a master class in indignation, look at Jesus in Matthew 23. And he is angry at the scribes and the Pharisees because of the way they falsely represent God in a way that stops people coming to know the gospel and coming to know the king. And he's angry. But he's angry in the right way. And I take it if we begin to have God's desires as we look at this world, in many ways we'll be angrier. There's so much stuff that, frankly, I'm indifferent about. But God is angry at because it's terrible. I thought of Henry Martin. Henry Martin was a missionary to India and Persia. And he spent much of his time translating the Bible. And at one point in Persia, he employed an assistant, a guy called Ali, to help him. He was a Muslim man. Uh, and he was helping him to translate the Bible. And one day, Muli, uh, one day Ali said to him, uh, I want to tell you a poem that's just been written uh, about uh, a victory that the Muslims had won over the Russians. And the sentiment of the poem was that the, the Muslims had killed so many Christians that Jesus from heaven had bowed down before Muhammad and pleaded with him to stop murdering his people. And Henry Martin said this, wrote in his diary this, on hearing this, I was cut to the soul at this blasphemy. Ali perceived that I was considerably disordered. I take it that's a Victorian way of saying I was livid. I was livid. And Ali was sorry for having repeated the poem in my presence. But he asked, what was it that was so offensive? And Henry Martin told him, I could not endure existence if Jesus was not glorified. It would be hell to me if he was always thus to be so dishonored. Isn't that godly, purified anger? And as we look out at the world like that, as we see people on their way to hell without a savior, as we see Jesus' name dragged through the mud, will it not move us with indignation? Not angry, a hostile indignation, but right, purified indignation that motivates us with zeal to work for his kingdom. There are times when it's right to be angry. The question is, though, when we are angry, are we angry in the right way? Are we angry in the right way? Ephesians 4, 26 urges us, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. I've got three things I think that will help us do that. Because the reality is, first of all, when we're, when we're badly treated, we want to get revenge. We want to get even, don't we? Have you ever had that experience and somebody's done or said something to you and you've replayed that scene in your mind over and over with always vindication for you at the end? You lie on your bed replaying it. Or you compose letters to the, the editor on your bed. Always when you're the hero. We once, a few years ago, uh, moved house. Seemed to keep moving houses. But um, we, we suddenly had to move house. And we, we only had to move about a mile down the road. And so quickly, I arranged a removal firm. And I employed the wonderful George Rainbow Associates. Now, George Rainbow 
is anything but wonderful. Uh, these, uh, if you were trying to design a removal to terrorize someone, this would be this removal. And um, a number of things were stolen. They literally took out drawers and just emptied them into boxes. One box they kind of half packed and they realized there was a bit more room, so they put a plant, pot, a plant in upside down. It was just awful. In the, in the days after that move, I was angry. A number of right things in that. But as I looked through the gospel, a number of wrong things in that. I overvalued my possessions, my wonderful stuff damaged by you. What is about our possessions? They're God things. But I don't need to be angry about those things. I was angry because I hadn't done proper due diligence. I hadn't researched and I felt a fool. If I'd only had asked someone who George Rainbow was, I'd have found out straight away. Uh, but some of the anger was right. He'd been paid to do a good job and he didn't do it. I didn't want him to inflict that experience on somebody else. But underneath it all, I wanted revenge. I wanted to get even with George Rain, but I wanted him to feel the frustration, the, the pain of having his stuff smashed up. When we're hurt, we often seek revenge. But the wonder of the gospel is we don't need to do that. Jesus ensures that one day every injustice will be righted. The Apostle Paul says this verse, be angry and do not sin, quoting from Psalm 4. It's a psalm of David. I encourage you, have a look and, and meditate on these verses at home afterwards. But David is being slandered by people, important people in his kingdom. And he reflects on what to do with that. And he says, I guess to himself, be angry and do not sin. Reflect in your heart while on your bed and be silent. You see, reflect, not compose mental notes or fantasize about the, the, the slaughter of your enemies. <laughs> Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. I think what he's saying is make way for an angry God. Trust God, leave space for an angry God. And David actively, as he offers those sacrifices, trusts the angry God, knowing that he does not live in an amoral universe, but the God who knows and sees everything, who judges every heart, one day will return and right every injustice. I suffered a few smashed up things. Some of you will have suffered terrible injustice. And the temptation will be to seek revenge, either in person or in your mind. And the promise of the gospel is Jesus will do that. Trust him, leave room for an angry God. He will judge. But the second thing we need to be aware, when, our, when there's a sense that anger is right, is that anger can easily combine with self-righteousness and deceive us. Anger can easily combine with self-righteousness and deceive us. I wonder if you've ever had a conversation that goes like this. You seem a little bit angry. Yes, I'm angry, and I'm right to be angry. And then they list 10 reasons why they're right to be angry with so-and-so. And the reality is there are times when life has gone so badly wrong. Someone has sinned against us. They've betrayed us. Maybe they've broken their marriage vows to us. And we are consumed with self-righteousness. Maybe we witness an unjust act against someone we love and we are livid. And there's a sense we are right to be, but if we are not careful, 
In that moment, anger and self-righteousness combine and our response is disproportionate and ungodly. Something has gone so badly wrong out there that our self-righteousness blinds us to the wrong that is in here. And so to prevent that, we need to keep being humbled by the cross. We need to keep remembering that we too are forgiven sinners. That if we were the only sinner on this planet, God's justice would demand, God's right anger at our sin would demand that Jesus need hang on the cross for us. And friends, as we marvel that Jesus loves us so much that on the cross, he will take the justice for our sin, the punishment for our sin, it helps clarify our vision. It helps us not to look down on others and thinking that their sin is so much worse than ours that we can respond in anger that is ungodly. It purifies us. We need to keep being humbled by Jesus to remove our self-righteousness, that we can respond with pure anger. Well, the third thing is this. In our anger... Does our anger seek to do good? If anger is a response that says, I am against that, it is a response ultimately that seeks to do good. The clearest gauge of whether our anger is right or wrong is does its expression just seek to condemn, just seek to punish, or does it seek to help? Sinful anger usurps God. It causes harm. Godly anger loves. It enthrones Jesus. It seeks to do good to others. If we see somebody at work or, or school being bullied, I take it it is right to be angry and that that motivates us to respond. And, and in responding, we do good as we try and protect the person being bullied. But I take it perfect loving anger also longs for good to come to the bully, that they might see their sin they might not just back off, but might be transformed by the gospel to love they're the one they're bullying, to seek and find forgiveness. And how different is that to the world that says those who are bullies, they must just be cast off and punished. And friends, when this kind of anger happens, it's glorious. Imagine a scene. A son mocks his mother in the presence of the father, and the father is angry he doesn't explode, nor does he go on a slow burn and, and burn underneath but not do anything. No, his anger is controlled. And in his anger, he says, I am against that because disrespect is wrong. And it propels him to a loving, vigorous response that seeks his son's repentance. Now, are there things the father could do better? Probably. He's a sinner. Every act is tainted by sin. But as God looks at that, I think he basically says it's right. The, the trigger of the anger is right. The response it, it is just and proportionate. And in that loving response, what does he do? He loves his wife, honoring her, protecting her. He loves his son, declaring that sin is dangerous and intolerable. And he seeks both their good as he brings his son to find repentance before Jesus. And friends, when that kind of anger is shown in our workplaces, in our church, it is glorious. It's so different to the extreme anger that 
burns hostilely in the world, and it's so different to the extreme anger that just ignores. There's angry underneath and just pretends they're not angry. It's a controlled, glorious anger that brings glory to God. But it's only possible if we've mastered the sin crouching at our door. It's only possible if our hearts are captivated by Jesus, if we seek his kingdom, if we've put off the old, had our old desires crucified with him at the cross, and we've risen to new life with him. That our chief concern is his glory, is loving others. May he build that in our hearts. May we come to him, find forgiveness, find his power to change us, that we might use our anger for his glory, to the blessing of each other, to the blessing of the world. Let's pray together. Loving Father, we long that you would have convicted us deeply and the things that you have said to us, the sins you have shown, the ways that we are not righteous, we pray help us now at the cross to bring them to you, to find fresh forgiveness, that we might be changed, that our desires might be your desires, that we're not easily angered because our kingdom is threatened, but rather we're controlled and patient and seeking your glory in all things. Grant that to us, for Jesus' glory's sake. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.